It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Dr. Geneva speaks. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks, where you'll hear amazing leaders from across the nation and around the world. Your host, Dr. Geneva Williams, a cutting-edge, transformational leadership coach, hopes and believes this show will enlighten, entertain, and inspire you to make a difference in the world. So listen up as Dr. Geneva Speaks. Well, hi there, and how is everyone? Uh, this is Dr. Geneva. I'm so delighted to be with you once again as we have conversations with leaders about leadership, how we find out what makes leaders tick, what ticks them off, uh, what are the strategies and things we can learn as we explore with leaders what, what propels them, what's their passion, and what takes them into doing things for greater purpose. I am so delighted that you're with us today in Black History Month where we've done a, had a lot of celebrations, had a lot of great guests so far, national speakers and local, but I'm telling you, this conversation is one that I've been looking forward to because I am going to be talking to a legendary leader, one who is still with us, and can still share all the great things and legacy and leadership tips and strategies with us. Now, I could tell you about our guest tonight uh, being an associate professor of education at the University of Detroit Mercy. I could tell you about him being the uh, chief of police of the city of Detroit, the former deputy mayor of the city, how he's won an Emmy, how he just has done so many things and is one of our great leaders in the city of Detroit. But I think I want to introduce him by sharing with you what's on his website. If you went to that site, uh, the University of Detroit Mercy, where again, as I said, he's an associate professor of education. And he says, why you're going to love my class? Because of the real life approach we take to education. There's more to education than a textbook. And then he says, we want great things for you. And this means we're small, we're dedicated, we're concerned about you, and we're in a great location. Now, doesn't that just make you want to go to where he is and go to his class? And then he says, my favorite part about teaching is you, seeing the light go on for you. Wow, I want to be in his class. And then he says, you might like to know I'm a retired police chief but I wanted to teach education rather than criminal justice because I felt I could do more for students that way. Wouldn't you just like to bottle him up 
and have him be in all kinds of classes all over the world. And then finally, he says, no other professor can say to you, I've written three books, met five presidents, been on Oprah, and had breakfast with Bishop Desmond Tutu. So see, that's my guest, Dr. Isaiah McKinnon. Please welcome him. And how are you, Dr. McKinnon? I'm wonderful, and thank you, Dr. Geneva, for that that wonderful introduction. Boy, oh boy, you make me think there's somebody else in the room here. No, no, it's all you. <laughs> it's all you. And, you know, I have been an Ike McKinnon fan for many, many years, and I wanted to bring your, your thoughts, your, your conversations to my listeners, particularly during this Black History Month. You know, you've had such a phenomenal career, but I'd really, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back, uh, go back just a little bit, because I know you're a young man, but I'd love <laughs> to go back to, you know, your childhood. T- tell me, wh- where were you, tell us about you growing up. Where were you born? Where were you raised? And what were the things that influenced you most in your life as a child, well, as a young person? Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I-, I was born in Montgomery, Alabama, and oh, okay. my my. My father, um, he took the family and literally escaped in 1943, the year that I was born, because the Klan came after my father because he had the audacity to ask for a pay raise for all the, quote, colored workers that were there. And so, uh, yeah, they immediately put my father on the midnight shift working by himself. And um, he was there, and he said that... These, this group of men in the in the clan outfit, they came after him, and he said, "You know, the McKinnons have always been great runners." <laughs> and so he <laughs> said that his, his old saying was, "It's better to, it's better to say there he goes than there he lays." And yes. so he ran, and and told my mother what happened, and he took a bus to Chicago, and and sent and got us until we went to Chicago and then to Detroit. But oh uh, that was that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember my father saying that without any malice. He, he, there were a lot of things yeah. that he told me. When I went to Detroit and Public Schools in the Lincoln yeah, Elementary. How yeah, how old were you at that I'm, time when all this happened? Well, I was, I was a month old. So oh, in, in my goodness. So you were yeah. a little yeah. bitty one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So my father, you, you would tell me and tell my, my, my siblings about this, this story. Yes. And yes. uh, but I grew up, and, and then we moved to the Brewster Projects. I lived there for a mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Then I lived on, on Saint Antoine, uh, and went to Lincoln Elementary, the Garfield Junior High, and then eventually where I graduated from Cass Tech in uh-huh. 1961. So okay. that was that was a start for me. I mean, so many of the young people, particularly young boys that I grew up with. I'm still in contact with one now after all these years, but uh-huh. it, was, um, it was it was a great experience growing up in the area of St. Antoine and Superior. People talk about Hastings Street. Well, I used to walk on Hastings Street as a young mm-hmm. boy, mm-hmm. and uh, Aretha Franklin and I were just communicating last week, and we were talking about her father's church was at Willis and Hastings, uh, mm-hmm. Bethel, and mm-hmm. I used to go and and hear Aretha sing. So we're all from the same old neighborhood and, right. and um, at the medical center. So that, that was a start for me. 
uh, in uh-huh. Detroit. But but I, I tell you that this idea for me of becoming a police officer started when I was 14. And people yeah. look at this and they, why? I said, well, I was, my first day at Cash Tech in 1957, back in those days, because you're not old enough to know this, but um, I um, was a half day of school. And so I, that half day I left and went back to Garfield to say hi to my favorite teacher of all time, Mr. Raymond Hughes, who's still alive. Uh-huh. And um, as I was leaving the school, um, this, this uh, police car called the Big Four. Uh, they grabbed me, mm-hmm. threw me up against the car, and proceeded uh-huh. to beat me up. And that was my first experience with the police. And, I mean, they were just vile and vicious, and the names that they were calling me and... Of course, nobody mm. could do anything about this. I, was, I remember specifically as I was looking around wondering why nobody was helping, but then I realized that if they had done something, uh, they would have gone to jail and been beaten up too. So I didn't right. tell anybody about this. That night I made my mind up I was going to become a police officer and certainly not be like those guys were. And that was the, uh, the start for me in terms of what I wanted to do. Isn't that – that is incredible. You know, I, I – I ask people, I usually ask people, what was the aha moment in growing up in your life that set you on the path? And so this was more than an aha moment. This was like an ouch. This was like a pain. This was like so much in that incident. And so you... From there, you said, well, I'm going to be what they are so that I'll never be what they are. I mean, basically. I, I never... Yeah, I, I never knew I would become police chief or deputy mayor and those things like that. Yes. And I, I, you know, not having the influence, but my position was that I wanted to make sure that those kinds of things didn't happen to other young people. And it, it worked because when I joined the police department in 1965, uh, you know, it was just amazing how this stuff was still going on and how I uh, intervened in so many of similar kinds of situations with young black men. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I felt, I truly felt and feel good about that because we had to have, when I joined in 65, there were 5,500 police officers on, on the street and probably certainly less than 50 uh, men of color on the police department. So it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're truly outnumbered, you know. And so mm-hmm. you, you tried mm-hmm. to find people who thought the way that we did who wanted to help, but it was few and very few between that uh, would would, would yes. help stop those kinds of situations. So, so I tell tell us about so so you joined the police force in in the sixties. Tell us about your leadership journey. How did you get to be police chief, and and what was the biggest lesson that you learned? In, in your journey, your ascension to police chief? Well, that, that's, that's great because at some point uh, I made a decision I was going to uh, go to college. And actually okay. it was Mayor Jerome Kavanaugh who mm. asked me. I was working on his detail in 1968. He said, Ike, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I said, well, I want to stay 
and help uh, and, and be a police officer. He said, no, no, the world is changing, Ike. He said, um, you know, one day, and the term that he used, there, there could be a colored president or there could be a mm. colored chief of mm. police. Because, you know, in mm. 1968, you know, we're saying, come on, you're crazy. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, he said, right. listen, world is changing, go to school, go to college. So uh, the next day, I went and signed up and, uh, for college, and 11 years later, I was Dr. McKinnon. But mm-hmm. it was interesting because mm-hmm. so many of the, the, the officers didn't necessarily care about education. I mean, it, it, it was a diff- different mentality, you know, of people. And so as I got the, the education, certainly I took tests and, and went up through the ranks, and at, at some point I was a lieutenant. I think that's when we first met, when I was a lieutenant. Yes. And yes. then I, I started rising, and when I got the Ph.D., uh, I initially retired from the police department and went to uh, teach at U of D. But uh, I got called back, of course. But in the meantime, as I was rising in the, in the ranks, uh, at some point um, after I retired, Dennis Archer asked me to come back and, and be uh, a chief. And that mm-hmm. was in 1994. But throughout this time, uh, I was uh, continuing to go to school. I went to the FBI Academy, their school. I went to the Secret Service School. Mm-hmm. But my goal was to learn a, 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 a much, a, as much about law enforcement as I could because, you know, what I saw and see, in particular back in those days, was so many of our young men who were being locked up and, and sent to jail, and they, <laughs> it wasn't anything to, to change them or turn their lives around. And mm-hmm. that's when I started committing myself to helping, in particular, young men uh, and hopefully changing and turning their lives around. You know, we, we sent so many young men to, to prison, and what did it do for them other than uh, uh, put them into a worse situation? And so yes. that's when I made that decision that I would certainly be involved in education, but also as mm-hmm. much as I could to help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, um, I'm just so delighted in this Black History Month, and frankly, in any month, to have as my guest Dr. Isaiah Ike McKinnon. Uh, and we're just talking about, well, right now he's Associate, Associate Professor of Education at University of Detroit Mercy, but we were just talking about uh, his stellar career, certainly as a police chief here in Detroit, but also as deputy mayor, and just a, a, a really a person who so many of us look up to and listen. And I, I guess I'm hearing part of your leadership journey. Um, you, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about the need to be prepared, be educated, be, I'm hearing, be the best that you can be in your craft. Is is this something that um, you believe in, in terms of, as, as a leader, that, that helps uh, those who are aspiring to leadership, this practicing of your craft, the being the best that you can, that being educated? Is this one of the ingredients that you feel is important uh, for leaders? There's no question. You know, in my era of growing up, our, the, the old-timers would say to me, they say, uh, son, they say, uh, get those papers, 
and, uh-huh. and they, they have it in your head because they can't take it away from you. And so I mm-hmm. grew up with that thought that if I got yeah. any kind of degree, I didn't know I was going to become Dr. McKinnon, but it was mm-hmm. important because back in those days, unless you had, uh, whether it was a degree, I mean, getting a good job or getting a good position was, was out of the way. And so mm-hmm. that's what I, mm-hmm. I decided to do, and I tried to preach it to uh, young people and to officers alike. And it was really interesting for me because as I talked to young men in particular, uh, they would say, hey, that, that's great, I, I'm going to do that too. But the main thing was getting something so that no one can take it away from me. Now, in terms of uh, uh, being whether a good person or being a supervisor, uh, that was important because they, there are certain rules that were set up in terms of law enforcement in particular as to uh, how you could ascend to certain levels. And, of course, I did all that. But also, at that point, you still had the human factor that was in there. And the human factor mm-hmm. being that uh, a, a person of a different hue, uh, you know, they, one could, one was supervising one, they could give them a better performance rating. So I had to fight hard. I'm sure all the other minorities on the police department had to fight extremely hard to reach to a certain level. And that became even more of a driving force for me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, here I am. I, I think back to this. I had a Ph.D. <laughs> and uh, on the police department, there were guys who, uh, who had just barely finished high school who were my mm-hmm. boss. Not to say that, mm-hmm. that, that they are lesser people, but that was the way that this, this system was. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. unfortunately for us, uh, uh, it, it helped me to, to think the way that I did and to, to make sure that I got as much as I could to, to make a difference. I had um, mm-hmm. uh, this conversation with Carl Stokes, who was the first African-American mayor of a, of a major city. Yes. And he talked, about the same, he talked about the same thing. And I had mm-hmm. the same conversation with Nelson Mandela when he was here. And mm-hmm. he talked about the same thing. And so this was something that just totally enriched my thoughts of helping and making the best that I could. So there, there are a great number of things that are so important for having an impact on my life. Yeah, I, I you know, you've, you've co-authored uh, two books. You've written uh, yourself three books. Uh, you've done so many articles on, on crime, and uh, you've, you, you know, you've been on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Oprah. You've had, you've dined with Bishop Tutu and Nelson Mandela. You just, if you could summarize, <laughs> um, let's just say the conversations with people like an Oprah, a Bishop Tutu, a Nelson Mandela. If you could summarize the leadership lessons from them, uh, what they, would you say? I mean, what they, would they all be? had, oh, yeah, there's, there's no question. They all had initiative, they all had drive, and they all mm-hmm. wanted to help humanity. You know, mm-hmm. when I spoke with Nelson Mandela and Bishop Tutu in particular, and these were singular conversations that I had with them, and you know, I'm this young man, I wanted to ask uh, Nelson Mandela, which I did, why aren't you angry or are you angry at the people in South Africa for imprisoning you for 27 years? And Nelson mm. Mandela, this wonderful man, he said to me, he said, tell me about yourself. I said, Mr. Mandela, I'm this <laughs> man from Detroit, you know. He said, no, no, no. 
I want to know about you. So I told him the story of being beaten up. I told him those mm-hmm. those things. And he said to me, he said, you must tell that story. You must let people know how you suffered so you can share that with others. And then he, he said, now listen, he said, in my heart, I might hate the white people in South Africa. I might want to kill them. But in my head, I knew that that could not be done because if that were the case, all the black people in South Africa would be killed because the whites controlled the army and, and so forth. So he said, mm-hmm. make sure that you know in your head what you want to do in your heart. And I mean, mm. it's interesting how Bishop, Bishop Tutu said the same thing. You know? mm. And you know, mm-hmm. these were people who literally had an impact on the world, which I think Oprah has too. You know, so yes. these are people who I see as, as heroes. I, I truly do. And the impact that they've had and continue to have. Uh, whether uh, Nelson Mandela is gone, you know, it's, it's the fact that he had a profound impact on the world. Yes, and and that's what you know. That's that's one of the reasons I I wanted to um, start having conversations with leaders um, and these podcasts because. Um, you you can you really can have an impact. People listen to you, and and they'll hear some maybe a little something, maybe a story, or hear a tip or a strategy, and it could literally change change their life. Um, so yes. tell tell me, um, Ike, what's next for you? I know you've been um, again you've. You, you've done so much, and I know you're you're teaching uh, teaching now at uh, University of Detroit Mercy. What what else are you into? What else are you doing? And what's your next chapter look like? Well, after I, after I failed the retirement three times, uh, <laughs> I understand. I, what I'm doing right now is I'm working specifically trying to get uh, young men into education. Uh, which is is something that is so important because, you know, if if we look at the percentage of our young men who don't graduate from high school, who don't go into college, you know, the classes that I've taught throughout the years, the the, my minuscule number of young African-American men in college is is, is abysmal. And so Mm -hmm. my goal, I'm I'm, I'm meeting with um, uh, principals and teachers from DPS, and, and asking them to point me towards young men in particular who want to go towards education because I know mm-hmm. the impact that Mr. Hughes and other mm-hmm. men had on my life. Not to say that women can't do this, but, but there's a thing that, that you know, when, when I can, <laughs> my sons, they say, Dad, you know, you know how to talk to people. Well, yeah, but mm-hmm. there's a, if you can say to a, a young man, Look, I've gone through this, and I've, this is what I'm, I want to do, and here's how you can impact the lives of other young men. And that's what I'm yes. doing right now, Geneva. I, I mean, this is my, my, my life's goal, and I'll continue to do it as long as the university uh, will have me to do so. And even after that, you know, at my, my young age of 73, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be doing this. So. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, you know, I... I, I tend to always ask my uh, guests 
uh, what's your legacy? What's your legacy going to be? And I think you just laid it out, you know, <laughs> uh, in terms of what you're going to do for uh, young men, young boys. Is is that is how do you want people to remember Ike McKinnon? Well, it's really interesting you asked that because I, when I became chief, I received this letter from this man in Jackson Prison that I had locked up a number of years ago, and he said. Mm-hmm. Chief McKinnon, he said, this is I that you're getting a letter from me, but I want to tell you this, that you were fair, you were just, and you treated me just like everybody else. And he said, I want to thank you. And, and so if I could be uh, remembered as this fair person who treated everybody fairly, who did a good job to help all of mankind, that, that, that's it for me. Mm-hmm. That would make a, a, a that would make a big difference because you know just like the the man who wrote you from um, prison, uh, yes. for him to stop and write you and say that, I mean that's yes. that's an impact that that you have and you know if we could only bottle that up, I think we could make a lot of change in in the community. Um, and you still are trying to make make those changes. So, what are you teaching now? Um, so, at well, U of D Mercy, you're teaching. Well, this um, semester, I'm not teaching. I'm, I'm not teaching. Okay. I'm I'm interacting with principals and I'm, the general superintendent and all all people to try and get them to think about what I mentioned before about getting uh, young uh, men in particular in, into higher education or into a trade school or something that's going to change or impact their lives. Because, you know, Geneva, I, I was uh, at a function. I was speaking with Chris Illich and when I was uh-huh. deputy mayor, and there had to be a 1,000 young people there, mostly men, and probably an equal number of whites and blacks. And we talked about the stadium that's opening, this arena that's opening up, and the other jobs that are coming to Detroit. And I said, you know, um, this, this, the Detroit in, in the future is going to become the tech town of the Midwest. I said, this mm-hmm. is what Mr. Gilbert has said. Okay. And so I said, listen, what I want to help you to think about this as much as possible. And Chris Ellis said the same thing. What we, we noticed there was, unfortunately, a number of the African-American men left. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, and Chris, he said, Ike, he said, they can make fifty, seventy-five dollars an hour in these skilled jobs, and mm-hmm. so there, there's a reason behind it. Behind this, a lot, you know, a lot of our kids can't read or read at the level that they should, and, and unfortunately, we, as we know, there, there's a substantial problem with the drugs. So that's that to be cleaned up also. So uh, we, I, I've got to, I'm going to do as much as I can as this one person, but to continue to spread the word. Well, you certainly are. You certainly are. Spreading it, and uh, we in Detroit, um, we're just blessed. And I, I knew I had the perfect person to talk to during this uh, Black History Month. As as we think about uh, the legacy and and the leadership uh, gifts that people like you um, give to us, and particularly to men and boys of color. So I just want to tell you how um, pleased I am to say thank you on behalf of many, many, many folks. Because, you know, oftentimes we 
Don't spend the time to say thank you to our leaders um, while they're here, while they're with us, and while they're still um, got plenty of energy and passion like you do. Uh, thank you. So I thank just you. wanted to say thank you, uh, Dr. Isaiah Ike McKinnon, for being uh, with us on the Dr. Geneva Speaks show. I want to have you back because I really want to talk to you more about men and boys of color. So thank you Thanks. so Thanks much. Thanks for tuning in Dr. to Dr. I- Geneva Speaks. Dr. Geneva okay. Williams, an expert facilitator and leadership coach, lecturer, and keynote speaker. For more information on Dr. Geneva, visit her online at www.drgenevaspeaks.com. That's drgenevaspeaks.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.